0: Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg, voice and host of Inside Personal Growth, and I want to thank all of my listeners who have supported this program for years and years and years around the world, listening to the words of wisdom from our authors. And today, uh, joining me is Philip McKiernan, and Philip has written a new book called Rich on Paper, Poor on Life, Three Paths to More Meaning and Money. Good day to you, Philip. How are you doing?
1: Greg, how's it going? Good to be here.
0: Wow, well, good to speak with you and learn a little bit more about your philosophy and what you've been teaching people around the world. I'm going to let my listeners know a tad bit about you. As I said, uh, Philip does speak around the world about the importance of overcoming personal obstacles, gaining clarity, and cultivating the confidence to believe in yourself. Uh, he shared this stage with some well known speakers, such as Stephen Covey. Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama, just to name a few. And his feedback, I know, because I've watched some of his videos and I've been to his website, is overwhelmingly positive. Um, Philip's greatest skills is listening, although many would say it's talking. His ability to pinpoint your deepest want or need is precisely what makes him so sought after. He loves the simple things in life. His wife, his two kids, extended family, friends, and spending time with himself. Um, He has a knack for getting in all sorts of scenarios. Um, He's caddied in golf for the president of Ireland, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and believes that the path to a happy and fulfilling life is found through meaning we derive in life through the work we do, our relationships to others, and most important, relationship of all, the one with ourselves. Well, Philip, let's start that off. You, you know, you have a great story in the book about you caddying uh, for the president of Ireland. Your father was a successful coffee uh, vendor maker, and I love the message. Tell the story because you know, as you got in the car with your mother, and you told your mom that the president asked you to go to lunch, and you said you couldn't because you had to get back and go go meet your mom. I thought it was a great story. So it's a great way to start your book as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose,
1: um, I mean, the, 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 if I could just backtrack a little bit, I mean, I was I was asked by the golf club my dad was a member of, and I'd been a member of for, you know, and was for 21 years. Now, at that point, I was very young at that point. I think I was 12 or maybe 14. I can't remember exactly. But they uh, asked me to caddy for the president, who was coming to play in the golf course for the first time ever. And uh, I was a young little kid, and, and. You know, you know, was nervous and scared to some extent, but at the same time, I, I look at, in hindsight, looking back, the one thing that I'm, I'm curious about to some extent, even still, and I'm proud of and and, and appreciative of in, in terms of my parents is that I didn't put them on a pedestal. I didn't have this this i wasn't starstruck i was comfortable enough in my own skin despite my own personal challenges as a young person that i didn't put him up on a pedestal and long story short i i I literally i didn't carry his bags i was too small but i pulled his cart his his his, uh you know his golf clubs around the around the course and some people who don't know golf think a caddy is just somebody who carries your bags and caddies can be a hell of a lot more than that they're really your eyes and ears in the golf course they're your strategic partner they also can give you advice they're almost like a, a personal coach uh, depending mm-hmm. on your relationship and how well you trust them. But I bit my lip for pretty much 14 the or 15 whole, holes of golf.
0: Yeah, almost the where whole I way didn't. until I asked you for what club you wanted to use. And fortunately, he was within 10 feet of the hole. I know because I've caddied myself. So. <laughs> yeah. so Yeah. so So to me, that was a big
1: moment in my life where it's okay to speak up. It's okay to follow your intuition. It's okay to challenge it. And that was a big lesson. But the bigger thing at the end was, you know, we came off the golf course. He said, I don't, I don't carry money. My, my man over there, which is a security guy, was hiding in the bushes. He was paying me. And, of course, I was told implicitly not to accept any money, but he gave me £50 pounds from memory, which was a hell of a lot of money um, in those days. And, uh, and then he turned, he said, would you like to come for lunch? And I said, no, listen, I, thanks, no thanks, Mr. President. Um, my mom is waiting for me. And to me, that was just a natural response because my mom was waiting. And then I shared that with my mother on the way back on the motorway and she nearly crashed the car. And then, of course, said only my son would turn down the president of Ireland for lunch.
0: But I think the message you're telling people is you had enough confidence in yourself, really to speak up and tell him what club to use. I know I I caddied I for Orville Moody during a big golf tournament in San Diego, and uh, they really did want us to base off the number of yards it was from markers. And it is so important to have confidence. That you can say, yes, it's an eight iron or a seven iron, not a five or a four iron, you know? So that is what they're looking for, that confidence level, that ability to make the calls. Now the point you make is about finding your voice and overcoming the fears of being less than. Uh, Most of my listeners know about this challenge. What advice do you have for our listeners about finding their voice and listening to their intuition and having discernment about what that intuition is telling? them? Yeah, I
1: think when we use the word find, I think we naturally make an assumption that we need to go and find it outside of ourselves, that it's under some rock in a garden or it's behind some tree or it's even within the covers of a book. I'm not saying that books can't stir us and help us and support us. But ultimately, when we use the word find, often we search outside of ourselves. And and I think, I know, I believe that intuition is just under the skin. It's something that we're born with. It's an innate within all of us. It's, it's present within all of us. And as we get older in life, we are too busy trying to fit in. We become very obsessed about fitting into society. And we start suppressing that intuition that's been screaming at us, that's been like a big lion uh, roaring at us all our lives up to a point. And then we suppress it down to almost a whisper and almost to a point where we almost extinguish the flame. So the first thing I want to say about intuition and finding that internal voice, forget about the external voice, is that know that intuition is already within you, that it's not something you need to go and find to cultivate. The thing you need to focus on is what is preventing you from finding it? What is preventing you from uncovering it, allowing it to shine, allowing it to show up, and then the courage to express it vocally to the rest of
0: the world? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it is about finding it, but it is within you. And it's about discerning the voice, and how strong it is uh, helping you and guiding you. It's almost like having an angel next to you. Now, you speak about a seminal moment in the history of Ireland, your home country, where the Celtic Tigers beat the Italians in the World Cup. Uh, you went on to discuss the collapse of the Irish economy. How has the Celtic Tiger mentality influenced the work that you do around the world? I think it's probably influenced it more than than I can imagine.
1: I, 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 the, the way I describe it, and, and maybe some Irish people might find this uh, condescending, judgmental or whatever, but this is my truth, is that I was in the midst of what they call the Celtic Tiger, which basically is the name, the nickname on the greatest, one of the arguably the greatest economic success stories in modern day history. And Ireland went from one of the poorest countries in Europe to the second wealthiest country in the world within a space of about 10 or 12 years, which is extraordinary in economic terms but a blip and a blink of the eye in historic like in terms of history but but what it ha- what it had i believe was a huge fundamental societal um, cost or the social invoice is what i dubbed it and the social invoice came in, in and it came very slight initially and it came in the form of just letting go of what was important taking space for ourselves nurturing ourselves putting value on our health what we eat how we look after our bodies um, the relationships, the people that we lived with, the kids the the the, the, the technology overwhelming us at home, so we weren 't present, and all these things start to erode this social platform that Ireland is world famous for, which is having fun, being you know beautiful, open, honest, um, you, know, uh, you know just just being present with people from all over the world when they visit our small little country. And it eroded that, and people were making hey, where the sun shines. In other words, well, here's the good times. Let's make as much money as we can, and then we can get back to all the good things and passion and purpose when we have enough money in the bank. And that story never works. I've Mm. never seen that work with anybody. And it felt like, if I had to sum it up, it felt like the people of Ireland were standing on the train tracks. And I could see the train coming. And I'm not suggesting I'm the, only, I'm the only one in Ireland that was aware and conscious of this. That's not what I'm suggesting. But it was almost like I was screaming, get off the tracks, and no one was listening to me. I felt like I was going demented. I felt like I was going mad. And I needed to almost leave the country that was, I loved to my core,
0: but was driving me insane at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, the, the culture of the country and how it's affected. I mean, Ireland obviously has had its great ups and downs, and then it had huge, um, almost bankruptcy, not too long ago. So you state state that in our society today, the line between who we are and what we do has really been blurred. And in your case, if not erased, you state. You mentioned that it distills down to work, self, and others, and that 80% of the people are settling in at least one of those three areas. What do you recommend for people to live out their purpose-driven life and to lead a more balanced life?
1: So first of all, we need to recognize if we're at a kilter. First of all, we need to be honest with ourselves and see are we actually settling in one of those areas. I would probably change that number. If 80 is the number that I've wrote in the book, the book needs to be written, you know, updated to some extent. And I would probably put in 90 if not 95% in that, in that number. But it's settling with what we know and settling in areas that we do not know. The skill set that I believe, or I've been told I have, is not just helping people uncover and work with challenges that they're conscious of. It's uncover and unveil challenges that they're unaware of, the things that they cannot see. And that is a completely different uh, different ball game. So to me, the first starting point is recognizing your current reality, looking and stopping and looking in the mirror, and really assessing the quality of the life that you live. Stop telling yourself that everything's great and stop bullshitting yourself and ask yourself honest, hard-hitting questions. Am I as happy as I pretend to be on Facebook every day? Am I really aligned deeply to the work that I do? Do I truly love the city that I find myself living in? Am I absolutely deeply fulfilled with the partner that I married 20 years ago? Or did they look like a stranger to me when I look at them? Or even more importantly, when I find myself staring at the mirror, Am I a stranger to myself? Because the line between what we do and who we are is so blurred that we have often become in society what we do. How you you doing? Who are you? What do you do? I'm an accountant. What do you do? I own a restaurant. What do you do? What do you, who are you? Oh, I'm a, I'm a mother. Who are you? Oh, i just a mother, for example. I hear that all the time. drives me nuts. Who are you? Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. You're not an entrepreneur. You're not a mother. There are things that you've become. There are things that you do. There are things that you've layered in. I want to know who you are in your soul. I want to know what you believe. And they're the things that we've lost. And here's the problem. Here's the challenge. When the U.S. military, and I've worked with the U.S. military, when they take off their uniform and they put it, put it down after 10 or 15 or 20 years serving their country or serving the military, they don't know who they are. When a soccer player hangs up his boots or her boots for the, for the last time, they don't know who they are. When the mother waves goodbye to her son or daughter heading to college and she closes the door, she looks in the mirror and goes, where the fuck have you been for the last 20 years? Who are you? And by the way, who's the guy over there that I've been sharing a bed with for 20 years? I don't recognize him either. The business owner that loses their business or sells the business. Who are they when their business goes away? This is the question. And this is the most imp- one of the most important conversations in humanity that we're not having.
0: And, it's, it, and it comes back to haunt us all if we're not conscious of this along the journey. Well, I think in what you're saying, it's about being honest with yourself. It's about going at a very deep level into the soul. The soul is calling all the time. It's just that we frequently our you know, we're allowing ourselves to dissipate what it's saying and we're not listening. You know, you tell a great story about Emma. She's this sixth figure architect, um something that you refer to as the next level syndrome. Can you explain basically the trappings of the next level syndrome? Because I think, look, if we're not enough, if that truly is the case that we go around with that belief in and we truly walk with that and we think that that's the case, we're always looking for more. Next level syndrome is about always looking for more. How do you help people get beyond more?
1: Again, it's recognizing the pattern. So you get to the top of the mountain. The mountain represents a business, a relationship, some sort of success, a new house, the thing you've always dreamed of. You get to the top of that mountain. You look, you stand there and you look around and you, you might have a, a, a feeling of gratitude. You might have a short-term feeling of bliss. You might have a short-term feeling of, of what you think is, is fulfillment. And then you, you go, okay, but I just thought it was going to be more. I thought this was going to be more sustainable. And then you don't stop and do what most courageous people need and do do. And that is say, okay, I picked the wrong goal. I've done the wrong thing. I've done something that hasn't fulfilled me. Now, let me understand why I'm not fulfilled. Why is this not filling a gap in me? We don't do that. What we do is we look across the horizon and we see another peak, another mountain, which represents another thing, the next level in our business, the next level, the bigger house, the bigger car, the next thing, the next shiny object, whatever you want to call it. And we go, ah, that's the problem. It's not that I, it's, I picked the wrong thing. Now, when I climb that mountain, then I'll be happy. When I climb that mountain, but we, 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 and we come down off the mountain of life, we cross the pastures, we cross the, the hills, the fields, which often represent three to four to five years of our lives, if not more, climb the next mountain and the same pattern arises. Again, we can't fix a pattern that we're not aware of. An alcoholic can't change being an alcoholic unless they first admit they're an alcoholic. So what we need to do is recognize that, actually, hang on a second here. The problem is not the goals that I'm achieving. The problems are the goals that I'm setting. And I'm setting these things because I believe or think they're going to make me happy. But the pattern is they don't. Why? Stop and ask the question, why? Why am I not fulfilled in my own skin? Why does the house not fulfill me? Why is this business not keeping me content? Why is the city I'm living in doesn't speak to my soul. Why, when I look in the mirror, do I have content? You know, am I, am I, am I got contentment towards myself? Do i got, I've got anger towards myself. I don't have appreciation. I don't have respect. Why? And uncover the why, uncover the blocks and deal with them one at a time until you move to a place
0: that this doesn't occur. What about Philip? If people, once they determine the why they're afraid, of the actual course of action that it takes, the steps that it takes to actually correct that course. What advice do you have for that fear that will probably pop up for every individual that gets deep at that very, very deep level and asks that question?
1: Two things. Number one is understand the fear. So the fear that we typically get, that feeling in our belly, that feeling in our stomach, is, is, is the same fear Um, and then i'm standing over a bungee jump and i'm about to jump the fear just attaches itself to what is currently in its in its its way the fear of leaving my business that i hate the fear of leaving the job that that doesn't work the the fear of leaving the the fear of, of leaving a relationship that's dysfunctional that doesn't serve me we think the fear is about the fear of hurting or whatever the fear is deeper than that the fear is older so the more you understand your fears I said recently in a keynote speech I did, I said with absolute ruthlessly chase down your fears and understand them because they'll spend the rest of your life chasing you because they don't need Red Bull, they don't need caffeine, they don't need water, they don't need food, they don't need uh, any of that stuff. Fears will follow you for the rest of your life, but the fears are old. They're not necessarily new fears, they just attach themselves. And the more you understand your fears, the more you get to the core, the bottom of the fear that is chasing you and haunting you, and preventing you from moving forward, the less it owns you, the less it, it loosens its grip on you, it never goes away. And nor should the objective ever be to eradicate fear, because it's impossible and it should never be because then we get complacent but understand the fear to a point where it loosens its grip and it doesn't control you you're in the driving seat that's number one number two is stop making this journey about you there's all these people in this world today and they're going around and they're justifying rationalizing that they can't make a change from something they know in their heart and soul is not serving them because they're afraid because this because of that i don't mean send ink in compassionate, like, you know, towards people. But you know what? Sometimes people need a kick in the ass. And they're making it all about them. They're making it all about how they may feel if they have to stand on a stage and speech, how they may fall flat in their face if they open up a business that they've dreamed about since they were a kid. And they're making it all about them. It's just this self-centered wheel that they go round and around and around. What about if they detached on an emotional, not an intellectual level, and said, it's not about me? If I do this, I will inspire my children. If I can do this, I can move somebody else to inspire them to make a move that is on the peripheral of my life. Or if I can do something that can help my community or my country or humanity, stop making it about you. That was one of the biggest transitions i ever made in my life, ever. And it was the emotional transition from, this is not about you, McKernan. At the moment, I'm doing a documentary. At the moment, when I go to speech, I I do a speech. I do a new speech every time. It scares the shit out of me. I want to puke my guts up every time. But I've made this internal transition that it's not about Philip McKernan. I'm here for a reason. People judge the hell out of me, and people love what I do. And then there's people in the middle. They're standing on the fence wondering, who is this guy? He's a bit intimidated. He's a bit over the top. Is he angry, or is he just really passionate? Does he care, or is he just trying to make money? And they're on that uh, oscillating back and forth. And what the truth is, is that I am not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve other people. And it's mm-hmm. not just some line because it sounds sexy. It's the truth. And it wasn't the truth five or six years ago. And it gives me tremendous courage, incredible courage and, and, and inspiration to move forward every day in, despite the fear that I have, like every other human being.
0: Well, it also points to vulnerability. Let's face it. You were quite successful in several businesses and you now are talking about your own personal vulnerability. So you state that being vulnerable means expressing what our heart feels, which is what you're telling to these audiences and honoring the soul. What's the most effective way to listen, tune in and hear that soul's calling? Look, it took you an awful long time to hear that. Um, You went through a lot of... uh, uh, challenges in your life, depression, issues that you had to deal with—that most people go through. What is it that made you, that helped you, kind of turn the corner, Philip?
1: I—I think there's a number of different things. Um, I think it was external belief. To begin with i'd love to sit here and say listen i started to believe in myself and that's just not the case i think there's probably two things that jump to my mind right now is one is i worked on my story and i don't mean a personal branding standpoint i mean that came afterwards but i worked think about this philip mckernan is my name and i hated my name which basically meant i hated myself i went to my own mother in ireland one day and said how do i change my name i didn't ask her could i i said how do i my own mother who must have been very upset and devastated to think that her son hated his name so much that he wanted to change it. The name over my door in my business today is Philip McKernan, and I am so proud of what I do. Am I perfect? No. Am I, do I have successes? Yes. Do I have failures? Absolutely. But I'm so, I've, I've, the transition is that I've, I've, I've embraced who I am, and I've embraced the story I've been given. I don't have a choice to go back and rewrite my story, so I can either bury it in a box and bury it six foot under the ground and try and pretend the painful parts of my story are over and they don't have any influence on my life, or I, I can go and dig it up and get to know my story and embrace the good, the bad, and the ugly and see how my challenges have actually educated me and informed me and made me wiser. And given me strength in a way that perhaps I wouldn't have wanted if I turned back the clock. So I've gotten to know my story at a level that most people never do. And I believe the past has created the present. Everything we are today is created by the past. And the present is creating the future. So the greatest, one of the greatest things you can do is to understand your story. Because it will give you the clues and, the, and, and almost how it's going to define your future. And when you understand your story, you can start to rewrite the future on your own terms. And and that that was one big area. And the second thing there's probably three parts. The second thing is external belief, having people, albeit one or two people that fundamentally believed in me, that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And that is rare in this world. We, we you know, and I'm talking unconditional belief, like real unconditional belief. And I had two or three of those people in my corner. And to this day, they helped me kind of move through my own shit to get to what I do. And the final piece is back to what I said earlier on is stop making the journey about you. I believe our passion, our purpose lies in how we impact other people in this world, our ability to move other people with our gift, not our talent. And that's the other part is as you look at your story, you have a choice to actually continue to walk to this earth honoring your talent, which is completely different than your gift. Or can you find a place in this earth to honor your gift? which is often sometimes it's related to your talent, but more often than not, it's completely unrelated. So, for example, an accountant might be talented with numbers, but they may have a gift connecting with human beings that they're unaware of. And they're two totally different things. Mm -hmm. That's the three or four things that I worked on.
0: Well, and I think that you you told it right, and what I'm so happy is, is that you found that ability to find yourself, Philip, because what you're doing in working for others and giving of yourself is giving people the opportunity to wake up, become authentic, um, listen to their souls calling, and really work at not only helping themselves, but along the way, um, you mentioned you know, it's okay to make money, too. It's okay to spread your wealth that way. And I, and I just want to honor you for the work that you're doing uh, as an individual on this plan to help further the consciousness of individuals um, and work with them. You have several websites that um, I want to relate to. What's the best one I have? RichOnPaperBook.com is one where my listeners can go to. And Philip McCartan is the other one. Plus, you've got some YouTube spaces. So, where do you going to recommend my listeners go
1: to get in contact with you and learn more about you? Yeah, I think McKernan dot com is is the best place, and then Rich on Paper book is a is a good starting point. And people don't need to go on and buy anything; they can just go on and watch some of the videos and listen to some of these podcasts and, and different things. And and I think there's lots of value there. And uh, and if they're so. In, 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 Kind of in, uh, inclined to to step in, in and you know further in the future, so be it. And if they're not, then you know at least it's a good starting point. And, and another thing I'm very proud of is one last talk, one last talk.com is where I put people on a stage that are not speakers, and uh, and help them extract a story uh, part of their story. And why I'm talking about that is not to promote it, but because it just illustrates yet again the power we have within ourselves that we're often unaware of and the power of our individual stories. And, and that's something I'm very proud of. So one last onelasttalk.com is a, is a special experience
0: as well. Well, and also I want to let my listeners know, we'll put a link uh, to Philip's uh, website. There's a book called Dead Man Walking, and I downloaded that last night. And I will have to say that there is it is chock full of opportunities for people to to take what philip's been talking about here this morning with us and really apply it to your life philip's been a pleasure having you on inside personal growth spending a few minutes with my listeners to let them know about rich on paper poor on life three fat paths to more meaning and money um thanks for being on with us and thanks for spending a few minutes with my listeners i appreciate it thanks for the invitation